0: Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips.
1: Welcome. I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. At the moment, we are facing two epidemics. Actually, one's a pandemic. It's COVID-19, which has killed over a million people worldwide and over 200,000 in this country, the U.S. There has been no end to the confusion of information and the feeling of being without clear guidelines. Many are frightened, some are angry, others consider it a hoax. Concurrent with this is the fear, provocation, and reality of violence in the U.S. as the toll of the virus sheltering in place, economic hardship, racial oppression, conspiracy theories and political division fuel dissent. What should we know? What can we do? We're so fortunate that our expert today is Dr. Gary Slutkin. He's a renowned epidemiologist recognized for reversing contagious diseases like TB, cholera and AIDS across the globe in his work with the World Health Organization. He's the founder and CEO of Cure Violence, the number one ranked program in reducing violence in which he applied his knowledge of the spread of epidemics to reduce violence in over 25 cities in the U.S. and on five continents. He's been in fe- featured in across, across the media in the New York Times, TED Talks, documentaries like The Interrupters. His awards are many, including the U.S. Attorney General's Award for Public Safety, UNICEF's Humanitarian of the Year Award, and he's a regular speaker at forums including the World Bank, Institute of Medicine, and the U.N. Dr. Gary Slutkin, it is a great privilege to welcome you back to Psych Up Live.
2: Suzanne, it's wonderful to be with you and to be able to talk with you and your audience.
1: Thank you so much. So I've been waiting, as I said earlier, since March to ask you, what is your understanding of COVID-19? It's described as a novel virus. Is it following the characteristics of disease you have faced across the globe?
2: Right. So COVID-19, calling it a novel virus simply means it's new and it spreads like a lot of other contagious diseases and different than others. Um, it's only spread from a person to a person to another person to a person. So it's not like it's nowhere else, you know, in insects and food and things like this. And, um, and among those diseases that spread from person to person, they can be spread by um uh, touching. They can be spread by sex. They can be spread by breathing and respiratory. And so this is a respiratory disease. And we know about respiratory diseases. We have almost everybody has had colds or flu. And it's spread like colds and flus, meaning that um, anyone who's coughing gets it into the air and then into someone else's nose and mouth. And that's basically it. It's from the coughing into the air into someone else's nose and mouth, and then it replicates there. However, this one is different in a couple ways than colds and flu, and they're really important ways. One is that it, it doesn't require coughing. I mean, you can get it just by talking with someone. And if you just listen to me talk, you can imagine how if I'm just saying stay healthy. There's various droplets that can come out of the mouth just from talking. Mm-hmm. So, and those are infectious because it's coming from someone's mouth. If I were, if I had it, um, and you were in the immediate vicinity, um, you could get it. Likewise different from colds and flu ordinarily you're only going to get it from someone with colds and flu who you can tell are sick and here you can't tell who has it you just can't tell you can't guess and that's what's called asymptomatic asymptomatic means no symptoms therefore you can look at someone and say well he looks fine or you could say well this you know it's a good friend of mine he can't be a problem, but actually you cannot know whether someone else is what we call carrying the virus. So I don't have to be sympt-
1: okay, So I don't have to have symptoms when I'm speaking to you to transmit it to you. I might have it, but I might not yet be showing symptoms. I'm still a source of contagion to you.
2: That's exactly right, and that's what's so difficult, and it's part of what makes it so contagious. So if you're in a restaurant with friends you're meeting, um, one or more of them could actually be contagious, and you wouldn't be able to tell. And if you were going to a wedding or to a church or synagogue, there were other people there, and everyone was well, and no one was coughing or sneezing, Any of them could have it and you wouldn't be able to tell. And that's either because they haven't gotten sick yet. In other words, they have the virus and they're going to get sick in a few days or they may never. But even though they may never get sick because they just had a certain amount of virus and they didn't get to the point where um, they started having trouble breathing or coughing or whatever was going to happen... um, they can still, and let's say, in other words, they're not going to get sick at all. They can still pass on something to you that uh, makes you sick. And so this is it- why um, the masking is, is needed and the distance is needed. I know we'll talk about that more, but that's why the, all of the experts, all the epidemiologists are saying that with the masks of uh, that person and you, with the distance of six feet or more, you're going to be safe, and without it, you're not necessarily going to be safe.
1: So anyone is a potential... potential uh, so, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Well, well, we'll get to this other point, but it's... the And on the, in the indoor space, Good. it's even riskier. Mm-hmm. That's just it, because then it can hang around rather than being blown away. Okay. So we'll go over this again, but these are the things people really need to understand. It's very important that people under, it's not just wear a mask or, you know, to and another disease, wear a condom or another disease, you know, do this or another disease. To- if you have to really have it in your head, you have to understand, we all need to understand what's going on is you're walking down the street or you're sitting at a restaurant and someone is next to you, close to you. And you're trying to figure out that I get that from someone and you can't, you will not be able to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But if they're wearing a mask and you're wearing a mask and you're at sufficient distance, your risk is very, very low. You know, almost zero if you're wearing the mask right and at enough distance.
1: Okay, so this is really important and I'm so glad you' you're clarifying anyone is a potential source of contagion um, whether they're whether yep. in whether in fact they ever fully get the disease or whether carrying some some germs from it I'll say it that way carrying it in some way That's Even right, that works. so so if I'm sitting behind you in temple or church, and I don't have a mask on, and you don't have a mask on, and we both think we're well, the potential is very dangerous.
2: That's right. That's why everyone is recommending against doing that, and that's why people haven't followed those guidances. There have been outbreaks, Mm -hmm. and people have gotten sick, or they then, um, whether they got sick or not, passed it on to somebody else in their family, you know, day, days later after that um, church or synagogue or family get together.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's the all distance? happening
2: invisibly.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But you have to see the invisible in your mind. You have okay. to create, we have, we have to move the invisible to the visible. So when I'm, you know, walking down the street or I'm in a park and I see someone, I'm imagining that they may have the virus in their mouth. And I'm going to be sure that, of course, that I'm wearing a mask. If they're not wearing a mask, I'm gonna stay way away from them because I'm imagining that they may have that. And I don't want to be anywhere near whatever they're um, uh, breathing out. And if they're like talking loud or or yelling or something like that, even more the case, I want to be away from that. And they should be wearing a mask. And you okay. should be wearing a mask.
1: Okay. So, so one question I have, I have a lot of questions. Is do you think this applies? Given we've opened the schools across the age groups, is susceptibility different? Susceptibility to to be contagious, to in fact um, contract the disease, is it similar across age groups?
2: Yeah, so this is like a very important question that I understand has been confusing, and I understand why it's confusing, because, um, well, let's take children, for example, which has been confusing. Children can catch this just as likely as anybody else, and they can give it to anybody else Just as likely as anyone else. They're just less likely to get very, very, very sick. Now it can happen, but it's way less likely. So most of the kids, they'll get together and play or be in school, but they're going to pass on to each other. And then when home, they can, they will pass it on to their parents or their grandparents, and they may do fine, and they may not even be sick, Um, but their ability to catch it and pass it on is no less than adults.
1: Okay. And so
2: that's really why I've been so worried and concerned about the schools. Mm. I'm not so worried about the kids, although some of them will get um, sick, and occasionally, especially those who have some underlying problems. I'm not so much worried about the kids, but I'm certainly worried about the teachers. I'm certainly worried about their parents and grandparents. And the community itself um, will have more of the virus.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, some of these schools, Gary, have the children with masks during the day. There's no getting around it. But they then allow them out on the playground without the masks. You're saying they're outside. We... I can't even imagine children not getting close to each other as well as being at a distance. Would you recommend your child be wearing, even in the playground, a mask?
2: Um, Of course they should be wearing masks in the playground if they're near each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, You know, the whole business of whether they should be um, getting together in the school environment and then being able to play <clears throat> is, um, it really is depends mostly on um, what's going on in the community. So if you're in one of the very, very few communities in this country where this is really under control, which might be in a few Northeast states, um, that and where the, the prevalence of infection is like very low it's like one in just a, several thousand of people who are going to be unlikely um, infected then you're in a safer situation or in the future when we're actually able to test and then um, know that all the kids who are there you know are not infectious today but we're not there um, but it if you're but if you're in a community where there's a lot of this virus, which unfortunately is very much the case in much of the United States right now, Um, there's more risks being taken than should be taken. And that is obvious by um, the curves that are going up again, the number of infections that are going up again, the hospitalizations that are going up again, and the deaths that follow. So um, if your community, you know, really doesn't have a percent positivity rate of less than, say, two percent, maybe three, I'm not comfortable with people being in schools because and, uh, you know, unless there's so many things that are done exactly right. Mm-hmm. And to go mm-hmm. over that full list, and supervising that it's done right, which, in my opinion, would be outdoor classes, if possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, I, we me,
2: really me... need to, we really need to be um, dial things back. The goal of opening up is not the right goal right now. Mm-hmm. The goal now has got to be. Dropping the amount of virus as low as we possibly can to get people to um, and communities to where there's very little of it around and we've got control of it, which can be done. And that's been shown over and over and over again by so many other countries that this can be done. That's the tragedy of the whole thing to a certain extent. This Mm -hmm. virus is containable. When you're, it, it, the virus is, is, doesn't even have a brain. I mean, it's not trying to trick us. It tells <laughs> us exactly what it's doing. It'll go from uh, someone's mouth into the air into somebody's mouth. And, and you know, if it, if it had, you know, a, a counter brain, it would just be saying to you, listen, it's very easy to avoid me. Stay at a distance. Um, wear a mask. And then when you get it way down, um, have your contact tracing system working, and I won't uh, be able to pop out anymore. You'll be on top of it. You'll be mm-hmm. on top of me, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's what so many other countries have done in Asia and Africa, and in Central Europe, and so on. Is this doable? So, we'll yeah, do this so- over and over again.
1: Well, one question, and we're almost out of time, and then we'll take a break. But so I guess I want to speak to the people who feel like, well, these friends of mine, we're in the same tribe, and we've seen each other quite a while now, and so we don't really bother with the masks. So what you're saying is unless you're in a place where the numbers are very, very small, low percentage, almost 1% or less, the fact is any of those people, could be potentially carrying the virus, and pass it on to someone yeah, else in that pod.
2: Exactly right. It's the way you are, should be thinking. Now, here's the exception. Let's say you and your wife, or you and your husband, are really being perfect. You're mostly um, you're staying in. When you go out, you wear a mask. When you're um, walking on the street, you go around people to stay at a distance. When you're home, it's just the two of you. And there's another couple, and they're doing the same thing. You know, they either get their shopping um, uh, delivered or they do pick up, but they do that mm-hmm. with a mask. And you're really doing everything right. And there's another couple, and they're doing everything right. And let's say there's even a third couple, and they're doing everything right. Well, you should all be able to get together. With masks. You know, you're someone else. outside. Well, actually, if everybody has been doing everything right, you don't even really need uh, to. You could be, have the masks.
1: Okay. You know, to be, I mean, okay. my
2: wife and I, we're not using masks at home with each other because we are, right. you know, each doing everything right as far as we can tell.
1: I'm going to have to stop us because we're going to have to take a break, but it's a very good point and we're going to re- re- return to re- re- repeat it when on the other side of the break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live and we're here with Dr. Gary Slutkin, a renowned epidemiologist who's reversed contagious diseases worldwide, and he's really weighing in on what COVID is and how it's transmitted and what we can do about it. Stay with us. Much more to come.
0: Streaming live. Tune in every week
2: for Making Action Happen. Hosted by Sarah Blackhurst, the program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established
0: in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world.
2: It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. mountain time on voice america variety planning for college
0: Channel.
2: Join hosts Navinav every week for Good Morning Canada. Our
1: home is Canada, but our message and reach is boldly global. Our focus is on the alternative perspective, the hidden dimension, and the expansive horizon. Ideas are designed to be challenged, perceptions shattered, and information balanced. We invite you to visualize the converse viewpoint. Dare to be acquiring, but always promise an hour of lively fun. Listen worldwide at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific
0: Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome
1: back. Thanks for joining us. We're here with Dr. Gary Slutkin, a renowned epidemiologist who's Finally, giving us some clear information about COVID, its transmission, susceptibility for spread, etc. And we were just speaking about can groups of friends get together? Maybe you can just clarify that one more time, Gary.
2: Well, what I was saying was that if, let's say, um, you're a couple, you and your wife, or you and your husband, and you feel you're doing everything right, that is to say, you're You don't have to wear masks around each other if each other is doing everything right, meaning that when you go out, you're wearing a mask. If there's other people around, you keep your distance. In addition to wearing the mask, you're not going to gatherings. You're not going to bars. You're not taking risks even going into indoor restaurants. Um, And outdoor restaurants, you know, I'm not favorable to it either now. I'm just being as safe as I can. And you have another couple. And you're confident, and they tell you and you know them, that they're doing the same. They're not taking any risks. Well, if you trust that, what they're saying, then you would be able to get together with them in your home or in their home or outside, which always is a safer thing, and, and should be comfortable with that. Indoors, where no one else is going to jump in, you know, you could, would be should be fine without your masks just like you are with your husband or wife at home, if, if they were that, um, in a way, yeah. perfect or mm-hmm. as close as can be. Myself, we, we have um, some friends who um, say, you know, you know me, I'm going to be um, fine, I'm not t- doing this and that. And then I, I hear a few things about how they might be going into um, some stores or some environments with some people, who I don't know who what those people are doing. And I'm saying I'm not ready to take that risk yet. So, right. um, yes, you can get together with others who are in a bubble, and then your two bubbles um, become something. And you can keep that up, you know. And I have an, um, cousins who they're um, the mother, who, is, you know, is a grandmother. Um, and they make sure that and she and they are are as near to perfect as can possibly be, and they get together and keep her company and visit her at home and bring her to their house, of course. But everyone has to have that. Now, And if some other kid comes home from college or there's some kid who's in school, all bets are off.
1: Yes, that's for, the question. Um, being to, right? That is the question I was just about to ask because adults can sort of do it, but if you have two teenagers in high school and they are on a hybrid program, which means they go in two days and then they do Zoom on two days, we have no way of knowing, even with your own child, what exactly they're doing, whether they're wearing masks, and whether, in fact, they are asymptomatic but actually could spread it to the rest of the family when they come home. Is that correct?
2: It's beyond correct. It's like there have been many really bad stories that have happened As a result of kids coming back from college, I remember, I mean, some of them, I don't even feel like telling, I mean, but I know two young girls came home from school, college or in one, I think high school, the other to their parents, and they were all complaining about, you know, they didn't get to have an in-person graduation. This was their big com- this was their big complaint, um, however, you know, by the end of the week, both of their parents were in the hospital mm. on ventilators. Mm. I don't know the end of that story, but it's everything was fine with them, and then they suddenly added a, a whole nother story to their family so mm. the, the, all these guys who are going to bars and pl- pretending that the world is just fine. It may not be for your loved ones and, um, you know, older people, which really isn't just people over 80. It's, I mean, people over 50, even people in their 40s. -hmm. They need to, in a way, beware of the younger people.
1: mm -hmm. So someone said, let let me ask you this. So families decide they're going to get together. And some people ask me the question, so if a family is going to get together, and no one knows where anyone has been, quite frankly, tell me the value of tests. Is, would a rapid okay. test taken by everyone help? So let's talk about tests, Gary.
2: Right now, it would be better than not having it, but not as good as where I think we're going to be. Where, where we need to be for um, getting together with people who we don't know or even being so sure, much more sure of people who we do know, is this rapid test that um, is, um, I can't tell you when it's going to be available. I mean, there are, um, I think it's something like 100 to 200 million that are being distributed by the World Health Organization now to um, low- and middle-income countries. I don't know about its distribution and availability, In the United States now, but um, that test, if it it really does prove to be at least, let's say, 90 or 95 percent, what we say, sensitive, picks it up, and this test is a 15-minute test, then you would be able to test yourself or other people and see that you're not infectious right now. That's what it should... um, That's what it would show you. Now, if you had a test that would go
1: ahead well here in new york you can you can now get a rapid test but let me ask you about this and it's costly and you have your results shortly in 20 minutes or whatever but the question that i ask after i read an article about borders and fences in the new york times which was suggesting so if i come into your state and i immediately take a test it's conceivable i will come back with a negative result. And it wouldn't be, even though I actually have it, but it wouldn't be until the fifth day that actually it would pick up my response to the virus and then it would prove to be positive. That seemed to me confusing for most people, but does it mean that if you actually are coming from another state or you even do a rapid test test, and you're coming from a place of contagion, that first test may not be viable because you possibly have it, but it's not going to show yet on a test?
2: Yeah. So here, again, it's really worthwhile to realize what's going on with the test and what's going on in your or somebody's mouth. Okay. So let's say um, you had an exposure on... Sunday, and so there would just be a certain number of bugs in um, your mouth replicating or just starting up. The test, let's say, would not pick that up, for example, on Sunday or on Monday. Sometime around Wednesday or Thursday, the, num- the amount of replication of the virus in your or somebody's mouth would could get to the point where the test would pick it up, And that should correlate pretty well with infectivity. Mm -hmm. So let's say that moment happened on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. So if you had a negative test on Tuesday, um, that would be good for that moment. It might be good for hours or half a day or to a certain extent, you know, somewhere in there. But once you're a, a couple days later the amount of virus that's in your mouth would be different than the test result of two days ago. You now might have more or that person might have more so that if you had a negative test from, let's say, Monday or Tuesday and now you're talking with someone on Thursday, well, it, it may have been that it was still multiplying. So having that test would be better than not. But it, it's not good enough, and that's therefore the importance of having a rapid test
1: yeah. now. Mm-hmm. So,
2: for so, if the I translate this
1: situation
2: of now, right?
1: So, if I translate this into the many grandparents who go visit people in other states, you would, would we say, I go there, I quarantine for five days, then I take a test. In other words, should you quarantine? If you're a kid coming back from college, if you're a grandparent going to visit someone in another state, you should quarantine for a few days before you actually take the test.
2: Well, is that right? That would depend on in a way your exposure to. So, Okay. I mean if you've had very if, if you could feel that you can see and understand and it's accurate that you really have had no possibility of exposure in any of that time period let's say, already six days or seven days and you take a test and it's negative and you're going to see someone today or tomorrow, you should feel pretty good. On the other hand, if you're just coming off of a gathering, and um, then it probably would be better that you wait out an incubation period and do do a test. So you're kind of like getting double um, uh, protection or uh confidence okay you see what that i'm saying is, i mean yes, it, I, yes i don't that's why it's it's so good to understand this rather than just writing down rules you're yeah. trying to imagine what is the likelihood that that virus got into you is it, is did you have an exposure you know so i had i had people come into my house yesterday to fix some windows and, but I don't know them. They both wore masks. I ensured that. We had all the windows open in the house. I blew fans in the direction of them <laughs> and to blow the air out. And I had an air purifier on for hours in all night, including today. So this is me overdoing it. Um, did I have a potential exposure? Actually, I don't think so. But if I didn't go through all of that and I just had them in the house, um, then um, I might be thinking differently. You see yes. what I'm saying, and yes, so it's yes. like. But people really need to keep their exposure down. Don't allow yourself to have to be walking around saying, "I wonder if I was exposed." Don't be exposed.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a load? <clears throat> is there a loading? Many people have doctor's appointments. Should you never have two doctor's appointments on the same day? Is there a loading up of potential, or I guess just an increase in risk?
2: Well, doctor's appointment, are you asking, Suzanne, about a doctor's appointment as a risk? Yes. Well, you know, um, this is a really interesting question. I think this really depends on the hospital and uh, the clinic setting and the way that they're managing it. because. Um I mean you don't want to be sitting around in waiting rooms. Mm-hmm. Right. You want to, and you wanna um have you don't want to be entering elevators that are have a lot of people on it, whether it's in a hospital or not in a hospital. And some hospitals have done this extremely well. Mm-hmm. So um i I think it's appropriate to consider the possibility of a risk in in a hospital, but if you're wearing a mask and everyone's wearing a mask and keeping a distance um, and you're not really around anyone who was was coughing, um, I think that I don't want to really keep people from having visits that really are are highly important right, so right. whether you would after such a visit consider it in your mind. As a potential exposure um, it, it's really probably not mm-hmm. um, but you know you feel better after five days that everything's cool and good,
1: sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, okay it sounds it sounds val- valid what you're saying, and the protocols in many of these offices and medical centers are really pretty impressive um and that's the yes. thing, I guess, to keep they're in much mind. Better
2: than they were originally. Right? They're, they're yeah. way, way better.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So um, let's go now to the question of not everybody can get a rapid test in every state they're in. Is it, is it important to, for people to be tested? Some people don't even want to go near the testing site, or should everyone wait until they feel they've been exposed before they get tested?
2: Um, I think the so there's so many reasons for testing. I think the primary reason why people are getting tests now is because they're worried about it, which is fine, because you can be um, reassured um, if your test is negative. I mean, I know people have had sore throats for several weeks or something, Mm -hmm. and then they get Mm -hmm. a negative test, and, you know, that's a great relief. So that that's important to me for your feeling of well-being and so on. And also it's important personally be, to have to know if you're positive because um, then there are certain things that you shouldn't shouldn't do um, okay. quite clearly, you know keep a distance from other people or have other people keep a distance from you and you should maximally rest and be hydrated and you know if possible, um, you know, be aware of any symptom change, in particular breathing. And you know, people should, um, you know, it's a good, it's not a bad idea to have a pulse oximeter at home, which you can get for twenty dollars online, Amazon, or Walgreens or CVS. <clears throat> um, the the public health reason for testing is for contact tracing. Mm-hmm. So that someone who's positive, you can trace. And then, you know, pretty soon, at some point, the country would have a system, as other countries do, that can keep up with um, tracing and then help having other people stay away from other people. And then there's testing. And then pretty soon you stop the transmission by a testing and tracing system.
1: Okay. And so let me that, ask you that's this. how we... We're we're almost out of time with this sequence, so let me just ask you if there was one thing that people should do that would be very much a step toward their own safety, it would be? Masks. Okay.
2: I mean, masks worn right, you know, over the nose with uh, enough of a clip that you're really holding it, and then, you know, keeping your distance Others, especially if they're not wearing a mask, don't be talking with. Pe- don't let people talk to you if they're not wearing a mask. With, and then you know, avoiding these gatherings, especially indoor gatherings, this is a mm-hmm. must. These bars okay. and gatherings of people indoors, the virus stays in the air.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Gary Slutkin, and he's been weighing in with invaluable information answering all of the questions we've been having on COVID-19 and when we come back we're going to talk about is there a relationship to COVID-19 and the violence and the fear and the dissent in the country at the moment stay with us we'll be right back
0: barry now presents his gifts to others as host of the joy of living all you need to do is tune in listen live every tuesday at 10 a.m pacific time and 1 p.m eastern on the voice america variety channel tune in every friday to get your weekend kickoff early join the legendary g keith alexander for what's hot harlem america the flagship show of the new harlem america digital network has something for everyone Who are we, and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by Dropping In every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live.
1: Welcome back. We're with Dr. Gary Slutkin. And in this segment, we're going to ask two main questions. One is, is there a connection between the unrest, the violence, be it verbal violence, digital aggression, gun violence, and COVID-19? And does violence in its many forms fit Dr. Slotkin's cure-violence model that has been so important in this country and worldwide? Let's let's start with the question. Do you think there's a connection between COVID-19 and the unrest in the country at this point?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, all of these uh, matters that you discussed are um, worsening each other and on top of each other and entangled and facilitating each other's spread. Now, um, l- let me just dissect this a little bit. First, uh, violence itself. Violence itself is a contagious process. And I've never been, it's never been easier for me to explain it than since COVID. So, violence spreads from a person to a person, to another person, to another person, and from one person to maybe two people or three people. And how does that happen? It's basically the contagious nature of behavior itself. And so violence behaves in a contagious manner. And um, we've been, for 20 years at Cure Violence, been managing violence in the way in which we treat every other health epidemic, had been getting between 40 and 70 percent, sometimes 90 percent, sometimes 100 percent drops in violence by managing it in the new way of it being a health epidemic. So this is all very good news, and there's a lot of cities and even countries that are benefiting from the new successful approach of reducing violence. Now let's just rewind to and how is that done? What's well, done with people understanding it, just like we're trying to understand COVID, and avoiding it happening to them and avoiding them passing it on to other people. And we use health workers. Some of the listeners may be aware of the movie, The Interrupters, or the term violence interrupters. And so there's thousands of them now in the United States and around the world. And they help cool people down so that they don't transmit. I mean, with COVID, you we should have Outreach workers who are helping people wear masks and encouraging them to wear masks um, and to stay at a distance. And you know, you're gathering too much. In in violence, we're helping people cool down and um, not do a shooting or some violence event that they might be planning. So this is violence as an epidemic. Now, COVID and violence. There, I'm um, working um, to. Make each other worse. For one thing, they're very much in the same communities in terms of most of their damage. And as a result in, in black and brown communities. So as a result of that, cure violence has been working both epidemics in many neighborhoods around the country. Um, for, uh, just to understand a couple other things here, COVID may has made violence worse because, um, some people have been staying home more and that's caused more violence within the family, including um, between um, spouses, or um, men and women, or whatever in the same home, and also um, children. Um, we're suspecting, you know, have had more uh, violence in women forced to stay home when you have a small home and a number of people are forced to stay together. Then there's a bunch of people who you know, are being asked to get out of the house because there's so much trouble within the house. And so um and all the stresses of the the COVID epidemic and have also caused beefs to get worse and um people have lost their jobs. And so this you know also has an effect. The result of of this is that when After a couple months of the COVID epidemic, violence began to increase um, in many to most big cities in the United States. I think it's an average of about 25% increase. Some cities have increased 50, some 5. But an average of 25%. That's almost unheard of to have that kind of an increase Mm. in less than than a year. So um, this is... um, And this is before the protests. This is COVID-related. And we didn't have this in 2019. This is a 2020 phenomenon. began to show up in basically April, May or March, April, May. Hmm. Now, then the protests happened and which basically were not violent. They were not intending to be violent. They largely weren't. And then other you know, as a result of not COVID, but um, the reaction to police shootings and people wanting to get out of the house. And then these protest people began to take advantage of um, people who had other agendas on the protests. And then they got um, incited and escalated by um, misinformation and by fringe groups. And that's a lot of what we're seeing now which is not the same as community violence. Right. It's not even in the same locations. You know, part of this is in the African-American and Hispanic communities that have always suffered from having an epidemic of violence that wasn't treated right, and now we've begun to treat it right. Um, And now we have these, um, uh, the violence around the protests, but not because of the protests, but because of people the mischief, the mm-hmm. misinformation and mischief.
1: Hmm. Well, it's interesting that there are people, so you're saying, have exploited the situation and even a, a peaceful protest is certainly then became difficult and, and uh, could be interpreted in all kinds of ways. But as you say, people exploited it. The other thing is that I've often thought that the most dangerous person in the room is the most frightened person. And I think with an escalation of fear, be it for one's life because you might die of a disease, or as you say, because I may never be able to recoup money and be able to take care of my family, or because I now distrust everyone thanks to um, the internet, I wonder if that makes a person more prone to violence.
2: Yeah. Yes. And that's, there's a lot of data on that. And so you have here what we call susceptibility, which you know very well. I mean, that some people are like, they're more susceptible to COVID, you know, largely because of age or other underlying conditions, but people are also, there are people who are more susceptible to going along with or being, um, Kind of inspired into violence, or incited is the better word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And who are those people? They're people who either need attention, or you know have grievances, or their grievances are being fed by the internet or by other sources, um, including the political sources that are inciting um, violence. And um, and so if. If people are, you know, if they're susceptible to that level of incitement or they're feeling grievance, then they are needing to feel belonging or show something or um, to their peers. And that is what, these are accelerators, incitement and the susceptibility. And then, you know, then you end up having... What is already ordinary, which is that violence leads to more violence, leads to more violence, but now you have more people incited, and you have more people who have grievances or didn't even know they had grievances, they're being given grievances. And then you, so, you have this um, division in the U.S. so that it um, starts to show up in a larger way. You know, again, mm-hmm. the other quote-unquote died and so on.
1: So do you think if someone gave you a, a community... Let's say in Portland, um, do you think that you could and would, we don't have much time, you would apply your pure violence model? You would start to identify the people who were built into the community? Because what you're saying is this isn't just community violence. These are people sometimes from outside the community. I guess, let let me ask the difficult question in the interest of time. What would you say is a step any American could take at this point to bring down violence?
2: So in in answer to the first, and I'm sensitive to the running out of time, as you mentioned, we at Cure Violence Global, and you can come to our website and look at what we're doing and what we're, I mean, we're very much involved now in trying to cool down the situation of the moment, all three Mm -hmm. of these situations, if you will, the COVID, the violence, and this political um, escalation situation, and we're working with about 10 cities on this to try to get public education and training out. Um, Great. We're behind. We're behind. We don't have all the reach and all the materials developed and all the campaign put forward. I mean, we're looking for um, donations or support that we would take at the website to be able to tool up and crank up our Ability to cool the situation, the country down. But really? yes, the, to your question, the this the pl- epidemic playbook is what you go to. It's reaching people, cooling them down, whether we're reaching them on the Internet or in the real spaces, whether it's Portland or Louisville or wherever. And then educating everybody on what they can do and, um, and not do. And it's largely don't join in. The violence. If there's someone with you who you know, you can cool him down and step him, um, uh, quiet him down, and stay away. Stay away from it, so that um, that goes on on its own, you know. And um, then whatever forces we or others can bring in to cool down that, everyone doesn't join.
1: Perfect. You know, that's, that's a wonderful message to send out. Now, just so people even are more informed, you've really given us, just in the last minute, something so helpful. How do people find you, your material and the website, Gary? Would you give that to us?
2: I mean, it's Cure Violence or Cure Violence Global or CVG.org. They all come to the same space. I um, mean, you can join, you can support, you can see what we're doing, all of these things. This is an extremely important moment for the country um, to cool down. Yes. And Great. I'm also involved in something called the Mourning Project, M-U-R-N-I-N-G, about okay. mourning that i will be showing up in October to try and put a pause into the whole situation. So we have a lot to do now in these next few months, including um, today and tomorrow.
1: Great. Well, maybe you'll come back and talk to us more about that. We I can't thank you enough. This was an invaluable show, and what you have and what you share and what you do touches so many people. So thank you so much for being my guest today, Dr. Slutkin. It's
2: a pleasure to talk to you, Suzanne.
1: Thank you very much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show, this show, this important show will be available as a podcast tonight on my host site, on almost every platform that you have an app for, on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, TuneIn, Google Play, Amazon Alexa. This will be a podcast available across the board on those platforms. Please remember, drop me a comment or a question at RadioHostPhilips at gmail.com, but mostly until next week, please be safe. I'll borrow Dr. Slutkin's words, stay cool and keep the people around you cool.